Bird to your mother, it's time for another episode of Birds with Friends. Just a couple of feathery brethren weathering any season to see the Eagles eating teams like bacon, steaks, and cheese. It's Philadelphia, Boeing shielding the cut, kicking it cooler than two penguins. Still Bo's old arch nemesis, Greg Cosell shows up and it gets real. Pull up a branch and chill, it's time to get ill with some Birds with Friends. The early bird skips the worm and prefers getting turned like a turn on some Birds with Friends. Bo will for you come Coming at you with stats and things, flapping their wings. You can't live up to expectations, so just do your best. (laughs) That's what I tell myself in most life endeavors. (laughs) Just go with what you saw today. Change your opinion daily. Yeah, I'm all about that. You'll be wrong often, but then you can just point back to when you were right. No one will remember. No one's listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Birds with Friends. Bo Wolf here in my kitchen. The sun beating down. As uh, I prepare for my trip to Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl, coming up later on the show, we will have a little preview of who to watch at the Senior Bowl with the Athletics lead draft writer, Dane Brugler. But for now, we bring in the man himself, Shil Kapadia, from his basement. Shil, how are you? Look at you, booking a real guest and everything. How was the conversation? The conversation was good. I look forward to listening. The brand is strong. Uh, yeah, we talked about, well, we talk a little bit about the, uh, the best players at Mobile, and then we run through some of the positions of interest for the Eagles, specifically the, uh, the D-line, the running backs, and uh, the wide receivers. So uh, you will have that at the end of the episode. But uh, we have to start with the, uh, the explosive report, Shield about Carson Wentz, locker room cancer. Now, obviously, that is, uh, that is overstating it a little bit, but the report from uh, Joseph Santaloquito from Philly Voice, who talked with, uh, I believe it was upwards of half a dozen sources within uh, the locker room and uh, close to the situation, that paint the picture that, uh, that, that Carson Wentz is not the, the most beloved guy in the locker room. More than half a dozen players plus other sources close to the team. You can read this on uh, the Philly Voice, as Bo mentioned, yes. So, what do you make of it? <clears throat> well, I think there, you know, I think there's Wow, that was, a, that was a dramatic throat clear. Oh, I had to cough. I was being you. Okay. I may be coming down with something. You know, I think there are some big picture things in there that don't, I guess, don't surprise me or that I, I would agree with. You know, I think uh, I'll just sort of offer my overall take on Wentz and the organization and how he's treated and all these different things. So I, I think the big thing is, uh, you know, in, in regards to him being coached, I think he is a challenging player to coach. I think he is a alpha. I think he puts in a lot of hours in terms of learning the scheme and studying film. I think he he likes to have ideas on the game plan, how to best attack opponents. I think sometimes that leads to great results. I think other times there are probably arguments or, you know, I guess you could describe them as healthy arguments or a uh, back and forth between him and the coaches about what the best thing is to do. And I do think that is a difference between him and Nick Foles. I, I think Foles is much more, and we've discussed this before, he's much more, okay, what's the game plan? All right, cool, I'll go out and uh, execute it. Now we know he, he recommends plays at times and does have some input. I'm probably overstating it there, but it's certainly not to the degree that Wentz does. So uh, that part, I guess we can start there. That part doesn't surprise me. I agree with that. And Doug, Doug Peterson has, has admitted as much that, uh, that coaching Carson is not more challenging, but there is probably a little bit more involved with coaching him than, than coaching Nick Foles. And obviously he also knows Foles a little bit better, so they are maybe a little bit uh, more in lockstep. But, you know, everything we know about Carson Wentz tells us that he is uh, hyper-competitive, as you described. He's an alpha, and um, he's also someone who wants that kind of input. And, and you know, he's seen some success with it, with the, you know, installing that North Dakota State play that they ran so often last year. Uh, I think there's I think there's no doubt that, as he was uh, coming back into this season with, with so many eyes on him that he wanted to have a um, significant influence in the offense that they were running. Yeah, and I did think of, you know, that there was a sort of note in here about maybe him changing plays at the line of scrimmage. And, and I did think to this year when every time he was asked about that, 
he was like, no, I didn't. That was coach. I didn't change the play. Mm-hmm. That kind of st- stuck out um, in my head there. And then there's ob- obviously the stuff about Nick Foles versus Carson Wentz, that kind of thing. I-, I mean, I think Nick Foles sort of has a special place in a lot of these guys. I don't want to say heart. That sounds a little bit hokey. But uh, there's a likability about him because he's sort of the guy that nobody expected to play. And he came out of nowhere and he doesn't do anything to sort of uh, grab the, you know, that's not really his personality. Mm-hmm. Not that Wentz does. You know, I don't think Wentz really did a lot of that either. But uh, Foles is kind of on another level where, like, they win with Foles and Foles gets credit. And I know he won the Super Bowl MVP, but I think there's a lot of credit that gets spread around probably when Foles is winning more so than when you say, OK, Carson Wentz has been the MVP of the league. That is not a fault of Wentz's I mean you know the guy who's the high draft pick um, who's going to get paid uh, a huge amount of money who's getting a lot of credit league-wide like that guy is always going to have a harder time sort of connecting is not the word but you know what I mean that guy is just viewed differently than the hey backup who's been to all these different places and kind of comes out of nowhere and leads us, but when people talk about us, it's, hey, you know, the, the wide receivers are stepping up and the defense has been playing better and, um, you know, that kind of thing. So in that way, it doesn't sort of surprise me that they're viewed differently. And I just think in every locker room, like the quarterback has a tough job in terms of how he's viewed by the other players on the roster, just because yes. that, that guy's going to get more credit than everybody else. He's going to get... Uh, paid more than everybody else. He's going to get more endorsement opportunities than everybody else. His name's going to be in the headlines more than everybody else. And so that dynamic is tricky in like every NFL locker room. Obviously, I saw that uh, to the nth degree in Seattle. I I mean, you know, that once the quarterback especially gets paid and is the guy in commercials and others feel like, hey, why, you know, why is he sort of being viewed differently than the rest of us when we all have a hand in it. And especially in this situation, specifically when Wentz has been injured the last two years, when the postseason has, has rolled around that kind of thing. I think that's just sort of a natural dynamic that doesn't really reflect poorly on Wentz. It's just kind of how it is in NFL locker rooms. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it is a, a tale as old as time that when anytime there is a, a group of people you know, working together or, or in a classroom together or, or whatever, if there is if there is one person who is uh, s- perceived to be the the favored son or the, you know, the, the favorite child or the teacher's pet or whatever, uh, that person is, uh, everybody's going to be talking about that person. That's, and that, that all eyes will be on that person. That's, that's a very natural dynamic. I did think, you know, he had one source quoted as saying that Wentz, uh, quote, had his, excuse me, I'll use a, uh, parenthetically here rump roast kissed and wait sorry Mm -hmm. he's had his beginning parenthetical rump roast and parenthetical kissed his whole life and sometimes acts like he's won 10 super bowls uh i thought that was a strange thing for someone to say only because you know this isn't someone who like played at usc you know what i mean like he came sort of from north dakota state i know he was still a and i don't believe that that's how he carries himself necessarily not, I haven't viewed that now. Right. I mean, you know, obviously someone said that. I'm just saying that right. that is um, seems like sort of a strange thing for someone to say. Uh, let's see. Wentz tended to complicate the offense. We talked about that. That you know that is not surprising to me. At the same time, mm-hmm. they did say it was later in the year when they simplified it. Right. So I, I mean, I think that might have been a game with Wentz, but you know, I, I would probably agree with that it is more complicated with Wentz than it was with Foles and whether that's the coaches coaching it differently or whether that's the quarterback wanting more input I think it's probably a little bit of both those things yeah I mean listen I I think um if you really think about it there's there is not a ton in here that is super shocking when you just think about you know every NFL locker room anytime you have 53 players or or however many players not everybody is going to get along. You know, if, if you could, you could write a, a similar story uh, like this about every locker room, I'm sure, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there are players on the Patriots who don't like Tom Brady. There's been plenty of written about, uh, behind the scenes stuff in, in, in their organization, but 
I think that it's it, it, there is something in here that is true. That is, it is it is incumbent upon Carson Wentz to maybe recognize some of uh, his own failings and and move forward. This is part of the. This is this is just as much part of the uh, process of becoming a great quarterback as uh, you know improving his fundamentals footwork wise or whatever. Um, I think I think I think he, if he's being honest, would would tell you that there's there's some stuff in here that that is that is true, and that he needs to address himself. And at the same time, I don't, you know, I, I still think that he's the guy for the future. I think he has a a of very course. bright bright future. I mean, a lot of teammates came to his defense right away on social media. You know, Fletcher Cox, uh, Brandon Johnson, Brooks. Brandon Brooks. I think this is a this is a classic scenario that we often talk about about multiple things being true that that there's a lot of truth to what is in this report and that it is also not really a big deal i think that's right yeah i I wouldn't you know yeah i don't think uh they're all of a sudden gonna question bringing everyone for interviews and you know kick people out or talk to carson wentz and say who do you want gone who you know that kind of well yeah i mean then that is you know the idea that that they should like identify the moles here then get rid of those players is is uh only playing into the perception that that he is a uh, coddled within the organization. It, you know, you have to. You part of life is being able to work with people that you don't get along with necessarily. Correct, and that you know, even with the the coaching of Carson Wentz, like Doug Peterson, Peterson recognizes the talent that he has to work with here. He also recognizes the some of the challenges in coaching Wentz and they're for the most part probably good challenges and as we've said with other people before that's what the money's for that's what you are paid to do as the coach is to work with the guy I think I'm not telling Peterson anything he doesn't know I think he recognizes that I think some coaches don't recognize that you know a tough situation uh, arises or whatever and certainly there are many more difficult situations than having a quarterback who wants a lot of input um on the game plan and the offense and that kind of thing. I, I mean, I don't know what the equivalent of first world problems is in terms of uh, this scenario, but I, you know, that, that is what I'm talking about here. So, um, and to be clear, you know, the article says, so he, he spoke to more than half a dozen players plus other sources close to the team. And the, the quotes that you get, they don't specify, was this a player or a source. That's so I, I don't I don't want to make it seem like everything that we've referenced is a teammate. Um, you know, we don't know which is a teammate and which is a, uh, a source close to the team, whoever that might be. That's a very good point. There is one detail in particular, though, that that uh, stood out. I wonder if you thought, you know what? I'm so you know what I'm most mad about, of course, that you didn't get the story. No, I no. I'm <laughs> most mad. I, I'm most mad about. This is just giving like legs to your too much urge for longer. I mean, mm. honestly, like that's killing me. <laughs> yeah, but the good news is you have like nine months before the next too much urge game. Oh, okay. I think you're gonna say nine months before I see you again. <laughs> 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 speaking speaking of which, I think that sounded meaner than I intended. I, I apologize. Well, well. Speaking of which, you did. Uh, there was there was a meetup that needed to happen, and and you did send uh, your own minion to take care of that business. MVP of the show, your lovely wife Jessica, who uh, who was had to be in the very awkward uh, and and borderline creepy situation of just waiting at the front of Whole Foods with a microphone in her purse, in, so that she could drop it off to me as I uh, swung by and went down to Mobile. You needed it. It's the off season for me. I did. She did a great job. And she did. I mean, this part was a little bit annoying and I felt like it was a sort of dig or like a a nod to you. She just texted me after the drop off. The Eagle has landed. (laughs) Which let me say, I did not appreciate that from anybody. Oh, that's fantastic. (laughs) That's great. She did a great job. Good. Although I admit it did make me feel like I um, wish that I had a purse because she was able to carry it around in her purse, whereas I then went into the Whole Foods and I'm just walking around holding a microphone in my hand, and the guy who was who was uh, at the register was like, "So what's the, what's the deal with the microphone?" And I had to be like, "It's it's for a podcast." <laughs> He's not a listener. You should have called him out. I, I guess I should have. 
I should have, I I should have started interviewing her. It must have been some type of bag that she was carrying. Okay, she's not a big purse person. I I thought it was a purse. I could. We'll have to. We'll have to get to the bottom of that. It may have been my purse. May have been. Okay. So MVP of the show. Are you going to get our our Doug Peterson or Howie Roseman? Are they going to be available at the Senior Bowl? Um, I don't believe they are scheduled to be available. Mm -hmm. Well, oh, so you might have to do some stalking and cornering with the other Mm. members of the Philadelphia media. Maybe they might have to get comment on this Wednesday. There's a a couple North Dakota State players there. Maybe I'll have to get their thoughts on. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Uh, I thought the most interesting detail was the verbal altercation between a, a, I believe it was described as a veteran leader and Carson Wentz. I'm trying to pull it up here. Uh, numerous sources confirmed Wentz was once verbally attacked by a highly respected teammate verbally for not attacked. being a quote-unquote team guy. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. That, I thought, was the most interesting uh, detail. I think you're right. Yeah be fun to get to the bottom of that what's that it would be fun to get to the bottom of that yeah sure but at the same time you know these are uh these are men with uh testosterone to burn and and the (laughs) and the stakes are high those those types of uh, altercations are not uh prohibitive of team success I request that uh, that makes a future drop. These are men with testosterone to burn. Mm. We've got a lot of these future drops that will never see the light of day. That's true. Mm. Okay. Anything else in here? I mean, uh, just big picture. Does this uh, change at all your perception of the state of the Eagles moving forward? I mean, no, but, uh, you know, on Friday I did my sort of I – I felt like I just had a lot of Eagles takes to unload at the end of the season that I didn't get to. So on Friday I unloaded all of them. You can, of course, read that on theathletic.com slash Philly. And I did have a Wentz piece in there, and I did say that I feel like this next year some of his intangibles that we feel like are so strong are going to be tested, whether it's resilience or leadership. I mean, this is a – this is especially with, you know, this story comes out now. I think this is a big year for him in terms of it's kind of like what you said last week, that it is probably time for Nick Foles to go and just uh, hand it over to, to Wentz and say, here's your team back. Go ahead and take the reins and uh, let's see how far we can get with you. And I think that's all true. And so all this stuff will either sort of be buried if, you know, he comes back and he's playing well and teammates are really on the offensive as you know many of them have been so far on social media saying this is our guy we believe in him that other stuff is nonsense or you know you start out poorly and there's an anonymous sourced report somewhere you know in September that kind of thing then this stuff will not go away so I think it is a very fascinating year this will be what his fourth fourth year in the league which is crazy you know it's not uh it's not that early in his career anymore. So his fourth year in, in the league, I think, will be a very fascinating one. And it's also, you know, you're entering your fourth year. You've got some guys who, you know, if it's true that the, there are guys who don't see eye to eye with you, you know, man up. Who cares? Take care of, take care of your own business. Sure. No more hand-holding. That's all. Uh, what did you... Yeah, uh, I mean, that, that's part of being a leader is... Right. is People not seeing eye to eye to you, people having complaints. Like you said, there's 53 players. You know, I really learned this during the uh, Riley Cooper stuff. Mm. It was just like, and then they went, what, 10 and 6 that year, right? That's right. It's like, not everybody's, I mean, that was, don't, I, I don't want this to get misconstrued. That was totally You're a big different. Riley Cooper fan. and That you, was totally different than what this is. You perceived but, him to be one of the leaders of the team. I remember just in my uh, journalistic career thinking this is a good lesson to learn that not everybody gets along. In fact, there are people that probably hate each other in every NFL locker room. And you know what? It doesn't prevent everybody. It doesn't prevent a team from winning unless it reaches a, a certain point. That's right. 
A team makes a miracle. Mm. I know that's right. Mm. When do you are you wearing your Riley Cooper jersey at the moment? What else we got? I'm going to be tested. I'm going to be tested by, on your theory today. I, I dropped the ball on my Southwest uh, check-in. I've got a I've got a C boarding, so I'm going to have to look, I'm going to have to look for look for an Indian to fly with. Or maybe there will be a, a wrapper in a window seat. Mm. Maybe. Mm. Uh, what did you? Uh, what were your th- takeaways from the championship game action, which we both inaccurately predicted? Uh, first of all, wildly entertaining. What a what a day of championship! Yeah, games. good stuff. It was uh, both both very. Well, I don't know if fun is the right word, but very entertaining. Games. You must be. You must be on cloud nine. Why is that? I picked the Saints. Yeah, but you know, that was an emo- that was an emotional okay. hedge for you. Your 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 boys are in the Super Bowl. Uh, emotional hedge would be the guy who picked the Rams to go to the Super Bowl and then picked the Saints to win the game. Did I do that? I guess I did. Yes. Wow. Yes, that would be you. All right. Well, I was right. What are your takes? I feel like I should respond to your takes. Okay. Um. Here is my here is my first take, Eagles centric. Okay, the Eagles could have beaten any of those teams. Uh, they could have certainly lost. You know, they lost to the Saints. They could have lost to any of those teams. But I was not impressed with any of the four teams who played yesterday. And I think that, you know, it's it's reasonable to think that in a in a world where Alshon Jeffrey catches that pass, that it's possible that the Eagles could be going to another to another Super Bowl. It really is. We could we could have had another rematch of Eagles Patriots. It doesn't feel like it was that far away. I actually do believe that. Yeah, I, I mean, I would have. I don't know what the line would have been, but man, I would have really liked their chances against that Rams team uh, on the road in the NFC title game. I think that's right. You know, luck plays such a factor in all this stuff, which we never want to admit. But if they would have had some of the luck they had. Last year, in terms of the you know the Keanu Neal mm. dropped interception, that kind of thing against the Saints. Well, I mean, they, they got that luck against the Bears. All they needed against the Saints was. I thought well, you're the one who reported that was a field goal block. That's true, but he still kicked it low, and and they got lucky that Golden Tate just happened to turn his head around when he didn't know what the play was. Okay. Um. So yes, I mean, they certainly could have could have beaten that Saints team. Um. And really, I, I mean, it makes you think that they're in really good shape going into next year. I, feel I think like. so. I think that's right. That, that's another sort of takeaway that, man, if they if they can really hit on, I think I've mentioned this before, but get a dynamic running back, field stretcher, at wide receiver. I mean, I feel like that's really uh, injuries, all that stuff obviously is a factor. But, man, those two things are going to go a long, long way, I feel like, in making this one of the uh, the best offenses in the league once again. My second take is that, I mean, Sean Payton is, is embarrassing himself. Obviously, obviously that was a blown call and the saints would have won the game. If that, if that uh, pass interference had been called and it was an insane miss, like an indefensible miss by the officiating crew and, and the NFL uh, definitely has a, a bit of an officiating crisis, but you're the head coach you can't just be you can't just be blaming the refs. You've got they got the ball first in overtime with one of the best offenses in the league at home. Go down the field and score a touchdown. The Patriots did that in overtime. The Chiefs never got the ball back. So this like this saying I just got off the phone with the with the officials and they they uh you know the, the league office and they said they blew the call and so we're all going to be uh whining about that all off season like Michael Thomas Instagramming that the league should overturn the results of the game. Go out and win the game. Don't be such a loser. I said the same thing about the Eagles when when the the Cowboys call happened. They had the whole game to go out and win the game. This is this nonsense. Like, what are you doing? You're at home. Go score a touchdown. I agree with the take. However, I think you are being a bit of a fraud here. Hmm. You may have mentioned that during the Cowboys thing, but I feel like if it would, I mean, that was a different circumstance. I feel like if the Eagles lost this game in the way that the Saints did, 
you would have a different take. I don't agree with that. You would be. Saying, I think the Bill proof is. I think the proof is in the pudding. I am happy to at. at <laughs> I'm happy to both kill the refs and say that the players and the coaches have to take the onus on themselves uh, to not blame the refs. Okay. All right. Well, I, I agree with you. I mean, the, the Rams then had the ball with... Peyton is pathetic. 141 left. Uh, they needed a 45-yard drive to tie it, so the Saints gave that up. Then, like you said, the Saints get the ball first in overtime, which is a huge advantage and so ridiculous. They, you know, the Rams forced the turnover. They don't score. And the Rams kick the field goal. So, yeah, I, I, I actually think, yeah, I do think Sean Payton handled that very poorly. I mean, the way he was still complaining minutes after the fact, and I know it's hard and it's the heat of the moment. Pathetic. And, and it is such a terrible no call. But the way it was clear that the team had not moved on from that at all. And I think the coach's job is to get it out of his system, 60 seconds, gather everyone together. Say, you know what? It doesn't matter. We're going to get over that. We're going to win the game anyway. That did not feel like it was the attitude that that team had there. So Completely pathetic. Totally now agree. Do you, now, do you think now, And also, should... you know, you do, enough Taysom Hill stuff. You, you deserve to lose the game. Both of these teams deserve to lose the game because McVay coached like such a coward. What was I going to ask you? Well, so who are you going to rip, McVeigh or God? I mean, you, you have to give one of them credit. They're in the Super Bowl. What, you're just going to rip both of them? Yeah. What, They're in the what, Super Bowl. They're second year together after they were the worst team in the league. What precludes me from ripping both of them? Now, yeah. Yeah, that's an impressive job. And what we get now is a fun, natural experiment to find out if Sean McVeigh is almost as good a coach as Doug Peterson. Well, I think the fair He gets to play the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Yeah, and he's got a starting quarterback. So if he wins that game, he's almost at Doug Peterson's level. I think the fair take on McVeigh is that uh, he's good at a lot of things, but I agree. I mean, yeah, there were what three things there: settling for the field goal on fourth down, uh, the cowards draw on third and long. Mm-hmm. I mean, the wide receiver screen to set up a fifty-seven yard field goal—that was unbelievable. That was insane. Unbelievable. A 57-yarder. You, you, you uh, said this. Now, I mean, I guess Greg the Leg has got the, got the leg from 70, but uh, I think your tweet was correct about this. There is, a, there is a misperception about Sean McVay that because he is like the young hotshot that he is th- this like risk-taker whippersnapper, and that is, that is not the case. He, he coaches within the game very conservatively, and he has done that since I've watched his games like that is that is par for the course well people did point out a few people that he the fake punt the, the fake punt which he's, is which he's is got a, he's got a good special teams coach yeah yeah I I mean the fake punt is so underutilized I mean call some fake punts totally agree uh yeah so I I did not like those decisions but I mean I can't it, Greg the leg just like saved his butt I mean my gosh, if he misses that, the Saints have great field position. And only they need to pick goal. up, what, two first downs, and they, they kick a field goal and win it? McVay would be getting crushed. That's actually one of my favorite parts about yesterday is that, like, you can pick these individual moments where if the result was different, everything we're talking about today uh, is just kind of turned, like, yeah, you know. Yeah, that's the whole sport of football. I know. It's, it's, it really is insane. Like, if he misses, uh, if he misses that... I can't believe no one, you know. Or if the Chiefs win the coin toss. Well, how about if D Ford lines up and not in the neutral zone? Yeah. I mean, that, that is the biggest one of the weekend. So if D Ford lines up correctly. Now, there was a take that I saw, which makes sense to me, that part of the reason he lined up in the neutral zone is because the left tackle was not lined up where he should have been. He was lined true. up too far off the ball. But that's not like a penalty on the offense. Uh, isn't it? Is it? I, I didn't think it was a penalty. Mm. I don't know. Maybe not. Someone who writes about football for a living, I don't know get the rules back of the to NFL. us and let us know uh, if that was or not. But, yeah, I mean, he know, can't be lining up in the neutral zone. but Yeah, if he doesn't do that, think about it. We're talking about a three-interception performance mm-hmm. from Tom Brady, probably the end of that relationship. You know. You think so? This, I, maybe. I don't know. Well, you said probably. You just went from probably to maybe. Well, 
<laughs> don't those mean the same thing? Not really. I don't think about what I say. But uh, I think that one would have been uh, really unbelievable. You yeah. know, that that's the biggest change. And then, to, to Brady's credit, you know, then, then in overtime, faced with three, third and ten. Those were some great throws. And he could – I mean, gosh, that, yeah, they had him in third and ten three times. Yeah. And they gave it up every single time. That was a uh, – that was just very frustrating to watch if, if you were – uh, rooting for the Chiefs or hoping for Andy. This wasn't a classic Andy blows it in the playoff game. Though. No, I don't. You know? I don't think so. It's hard to. It's hard to give him too much. I, I mean, was, literally, literally, it came down to a coin flip. If they had won the coin flip, they would have. They would have won the game. I mean, they have to change that, right? I don't think they'll change it. Change, why not just change it in the postseason? At least it's not that. I hard. agree with that. I agree with that. In if, the if postseason, set, just say every team gets one. Every team gets at least one possession. That's all. Yes. Yes, if the if the Chiefs get it back and score a touchdown and kick the extra point, then you keep playing. If they score and go for two, I guess the strategy would be different. The Patriots would probably want the ball second in this situation, but you know what I'm saying. If they don't, if you if the second team doesn't match the first team, they lose. If they match them, you play on. If they beat them, they win. What's so hard about that? I mean, think of the hours these guys put in and the punishment on these players' bodies, and it comes down to a coin toss. Well, but it's, I mean, there are so many things like that. I mean, it it comes down to a referee's decision. It comes down to Alshon Jeffrey dropping the ball. It comes down to... That's true, but this is an easy fix. Yeah. To give everyone a shot. I suppose. I mean, they they did have four quarters of a shot. That's true. All right. So you think everyone should stop whining? I think on the overtime rules, uh, like it's, I think generally speaking, yeah, everybody should stop whining. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, you know, I think Mike Sando, I, I would have to fight. He had a like a pretty good tweet saying that it's not uh, like the team that gets the ball first doesn't, the percentage that they score is not a uh, touchdown on that first drive was mm-hmm. not nearly as high as I thought it was. So maybe you're right. I would like to know what the percentage is in the playoffs, though. Okay. Because. In the regular season, you've got all these jabroni teams yeah, who stink anyway. Do you believe that the Patriots are going to win another Super Bowl? I can't believe I it. couldn't believe when the line started at Rams minus one. I would have said, I would have said Patriots by like three or four. I, I think they're going to kill them. Well, it's already at minus two. Yeah, I mean, I love the Patriots in this game. I would, yeah. you know, we don't condone gambling, but if you, are, if you know you're going to gamble on this game, I would uh, I would jump on that before that line. It seems like I think the Patriots have <laughs> been much more impressive than than the Rams. Why did I say we don't condone gambling? Who yeah, cares? Do. What am I to? <laughs> if you want to gamble, gamble. What do I care? Yeah, I mean we we've got, we've been doing lettuce all week. <laughs> yeah, I I was shocked by that. I was shocked. That uh, yeah that that Rams team. You know what? I I do think you're a little uh, hard on Jared Goff. I will say. You think so? I think he's I think he's paper soft. Well, he may be, but I, I think thought he, he made some nice plays down the stretch in that game. He made the one uh, nice throw rolling out. Yes, that. But even you know what? Even those and uh, the, the downfield one to Josh Reynolds that was a nice throw. I think you are right in that. He stinks when things don't like when they're sort of when it's uh, not his first read. Not his first read, but more. What's the word? Like, I don't want to say a muddy pocket, but when circumstances are less than ideal, I think his play drops dramatically. Although there were those two like naked bootlegs they called where he had a free rusher in his face. And I mean, they weren't big gains, mm. but he got rid of the ball and completed them. I thought uh, those weren't bad. I have to He's going to get pants by Belichick, I think. They're going to expose him. Yes, I think that's right. And I felt, uh, I felt so bad for him when... Uh, the headset wasn't yes. working, and, it, and then they're sucking it up, and it's like, oh, God, no. Jared, what are you doing? Don't <laughs> Make sure the cameras don't pick this up. Right. I actually thought And then McVeigh's like, you couldn't hear me? Yeah. I, I thought it may have been – I thought it was going to be a stroke of genius where he was going to make a big to-do about that and then hopefully play better, and then after the game he could be like, I couldn't hear a thing McVeigh was saying the whole game, but I just had to take the game into my mm, own hands. Shot across like, his back. If I were his agent, I would have told him to do something like that. Yeah. <laughs> take the conversation back. I like that. Yeah, that uh, that would have been wise. I can't. Fl- yeah, I've, this this is a this is a surprising Super Bowl to me. I mean, the, I didn't think I didn't believe in the Patriots all year, 
and they just sort of hung around and they got a very you know I mean they that, had to that game vote. script was as as perfect as they could have hoped for like getting the ball first a long drive Chiefs go three and out another another well, I guess then they threw the interception but the Chiefs just being completely unable to do anything in the first I mean they get credit for that the the Patriots do but um 94 plays to 47 I think I think I think that game if you play that game 10 times I think the Chiefs win 7 of them Really? Yeah. 7? Yeah. Okay, maybe. I think the Patriots needed a, a very specific way for that game to to turn out. How about, did, that one, how about that like one? Throw? Could that pretty, how about that one throw? Execute that. How about that one Mahomes throw with the the guy in his face when he went sidearm? That was that was awesome. That was nice. How about the phantom roughing the passer call? You know, I didn't think that that was as bad as. Uh, really? I mean, it was. I don't like those calls, but he didn't. He he did graze his face mask, and that oh, is against the rules, right? Graze. I don't think there was a graze. I think he hit his shoulder pad. I thought his finger like grazed his face mask on the way to the shoulder pad. I could be wrong. And I mean, obviously that's a ridiculous call, but it wasn't as bad as the saints call. Mm. This is kind of interesting. Now Nate Sudfeld has chimed in. I did see the Sudfeld one. (laughs) This is a weird time to be a, uh, I don't know. It's just strange. I guess that's good. So now is everyone going to look at, who did not tweet anything out? Right, exactly. And anybody who's on vacation and unplugged <laughs> is like suddenly uh, culpable. We have a we have a Carson uh, Jason Kelsey quote too. Okay, to, where's to, this from? To Nick Fierro. Okay, I'll read it. It says Carson arrived here three seasons ago and has been nothing but an incredible teammate. From the moment he started taking reps as a rookie, you knew there was something different about him, and our entire offense got better largely because of the competitor and player he is. His work ethic and attention to detail every day made an impact on others, and he's without a doubt a tremendous leader through his words and actions. I have not read Joe's article and don't want to get into a habit of addressing unnamed opinions, but I know this. Carson, through the first three years, has been nothing but a great teammate, trying to get better each and every day, trying to make others be better each and every day, trying to make this team better each and every day. And when the dust has settled, his legacy will be one of an incredible competitor and teammate who laid it on the line and every guy... Every day for the guy next to him and a man who did everything he could to help his team succeed. I'll go to war any day of the week and twice on Sunday with guys like Carson Wentz. Hmm. It's pretty strong. Pretty strong. Yeah. I will say there is a lot of like, um, oh, what are you doing? You can't quote guys anonymously. Like, uh, you know, you don't believe anything until someone puts their name behind it. I think that is unfair. Uh, on a, in a thing like this, I think it is. And, and that you have, if you have done the work to talk to multiple people and there is, uh, you believe, a uh, sentiment that is shared by people, I think, I think it is reasonable to quote people anonymously. I agree. I mean, yeah, you're not going to have, otherwise you would never get a player saying anything bad about a teammate ever. If that, you know, even if that's how they feel. Right. Right, I mean, yeah, I, think that's I guess totally sometimes reasonable. sometimes you would, but I mean, certainly not. I don't have an issue with that reporting it um, in this case. Yeah. What else? What did you think of uh, Tony Romo? Uh, a lot of fun. I really like uh, the the fantastic. Fantastic. I really don't understand people who do who like did not like that. I thought that was like a. It was awesome. Right, I'm, I'm gonna get crushed. Oh, yeah, that was like a hall, hall of fame bra. I don't remember enjoying like a. Color commentator for a big game more than that. He was great. And he was, I mean, he was right, like, every time. Yeah, and even there, even the times when he was wrong, it was still interesting. Like, there was the, there was the one, you know, he said the, the Patriots had the fourth down, and he was like, all right, it's either going to be a sneak inside to Brady, or he can change it to a perimeter run, and they yes. handed it off to Burke. And it, was the, the and it got crushed. That was great. Yeah. That, that's That fun. was fantastic. That, that enhances my viewing experience. Yes. So. You know what I did think? Like, he should be a defensive coordinator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, he knew everything that was coming. Yeah, but that, but think about think what's in that for Tony Romo. He gets paid less and Nothing. has to work much more. Okay, but I'm saying, like, why? I don't know. Is he, is he just like a... Like a football beautiful mind? Shouldn't other right, shouldn't there be other people who are like this? Yeah. this? It sounds yeah. like you want to hire Juan Castillo as the offensive line coach. 
<laughs> maybe maybe Andy was on to something. Poor Andy. Yeah, poor Andy. Is it ever going to happen for him? No, I, th- I now don't believe don't that it's ever so. going to happen. Mm. I'm sure I'll still get duped next year. Maybe it will. Like I said, this wasn't a... This was, I didn't think... Although in the first half, I, di- I was feeling like, oh gosh, this is a game I've seen before. Yeah. Then they turned it around. I mean, they scored 24 points in the fourth quarter. They came back to take the lead twice, right? So I, I don't think it's fair to just put this in the basket of... Andy Reid came up short in a playoff game. I agree. Of course, the facts are one in five now in title games, three times at home as the underdog. But I, th- I mean, this was on their defense. So yeah, right for yeah, sure. I mean, it's on their defense. Do you think they'll make a change at defense coordinator? You think it's a talent thing? No, I don't think they'll make a change. Okay. Juan Castillo. Maybe he's available. Tony Romo. How about that? If he, if he hired Tony Romo as his defensive coordinator. That'd be something. That would be a loss for viewers. I mean, the, again, there's absolutely nothing in that for Tony Romo. No way. He's living the life. Completely. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. You got to go catch a flight. Got to go catch a flight. And for this episode, we will, uh, we will hand it off to Mr. Dan Brugler. She'll have a, uh, have a good week. Thank you. And as always, we love you. Well, we have quite a pleasure here on Birds with Friends today to preview the Senior Bowl week ahead. We bring in the lead draft writer for The Athletic, our friend uh, Dane Brugler. And Dane, uh, a friend of Franz is a friend of ours. <laughs> well, that's, you know, it's the first time in a while of, uh, that association has actually been a positive, so that's good. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, so, obviously, uh, a fun week ahead here in Mobile. Uh, tell me, you know, the Eagles have the 25th pick. Obviously, Howie Roseman is a guy who uh, is always willing to move up or down in the draft. So, if you are looking at, at first-round caliber players who are going to be at the Senior Bowl, maybe uh, excluding the quarterbacks, because obviously that's not a position uh, of interest to the Eagles at the top of the draft, who are, who are the best players who are going to be there this week? Yeah, if we exclude the quarterbacks, uh, Daniel Jones from Duke, Drew Locke from Missouri, those would be the two that we talk about. But if we're just talking non-quarterbacks, I think there's three that immediately stand out. Uh, Montez Sweat, uh, defensive end from Mississippi State, uh, originally was a tight end at Michigan State. They moved into the D-line, had some trouble, uh, coach's doghouse type of thing, goes Juco, and then goes to Mississippi State the last two years where – had double-digit sacks, and the SEC just really separated himself as one of that conference's best pass rushers, long, lean-muscled, used those long strides, balance, the length off the edge, Um, eager to see what he weighs in at because he's over 6'5", but he's more 245-ish, so really lean-muscled, and so eager to see the the weigh-in results for him. Uh, But I think he has a chance to be a first-round pass rusher, uh, Nasir Adderley from Delaware, who's a Philly native, uh, w- one of my favorites in the draft this year. Uh, I watched his tape back in October and immediately was just hooked. And I, 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 I knew I could tell back then this he was going to be the, one of the best defensive backs uh, in this draft class. And then once I watched more of the defensive backs, I think it became pretty clear he's the top safety this year. Um, has Hall of Fame bloodlines. Herb Adderley is a cousin a few times removed. Uh, former Super Bowl winning uh, corner for the Packers and uh, the Cowboys back in the 60s. Uh, but he has corner safety experience. You see the athleticism with uh, the feet, the hips, the movement skills, uh, not afraid to come up and hit you and run support. So I think he brings a lot of versatility. This will be a big week from him going from the FCS level to uh, this type of stage. Uh, does he live up to the hype that I just kind of put on him? as being uh, the top safety this year. We'll have to see about that big week for him. Uh, and then Andre Dillard, the offensive tackle from Washington State, um, uh, uh, the best senior offensive lineman this year, uh, played left tackle uh, for the Cougars. But in that offense where it's wide splits and an offense designed to get the ball out quickly, it can be tough to you know, really evaluate him. So, uh, you know, he performed well on tape, but this will be a, a much different animal down here when – He's going to go a one-on-one with uh, some of the best pass rushers 
uh, in the country. So a big week for Andre Dillard. Uh, I, right now, I think he's in that early second round range trying to get into the first. But I, I certainly think he's deserving a first round uh, conversation, especially when you consider he's a tackle and all 32 teams need more tackle depth. Yeah, pass rusher, safety, and uh, tackle, definitely all positions of interest for the Eagles. Uh, on Adderley, I know that, that he is a favorite of yours, and you, you mocked him to the Eagles in your, in your latest mock draft, which, of course, uh, everybody can read on The Athletic. Um, you, see him, you see him more as a safety because certainly that would seem like, uh, considering the Eagles uh, have found maybe some corners on the outside over the, over the latter part of the season, safety is a, a need for the future. That's where you, you see him fitting? I think that's probably his best fit. Um, he's just over 200 pounds. He's not the biggest guy, um, but he's not you know below average in terms of size. Uh, he played mostly uh, safety in high school, and then he goes to Delaware. They moved him to corner, but then they moved him back to safety uh, for his final few years. And he played primarily single high, but he'd also come up in the box. They'd put him uh, you know over the slot. Uh, that versatility, I think, is key with him because he moves like a corner. He's got quick feet, smooth change of direction, uh, really not good ball skills. Um, and, and I said he's not the, the biggest guy, but he's instinctive, and he's a magnet to the ball and run defense. Uh, he's a tough kid. He's, he, he doesn't look like much, but on all of his tackles, he was getting up before uh, you know the ball carrier was. So I think he plays with an edge to him that really shows that you really needed that safety position. So – uh, I'll be eager to see how they use him here in practices. Does he get some one-on-one reps with the corners, or is he primarily a safety? Uh, I think regardless, that versatility is something that only helps him. All right, if we move to sort of a uh, position of interest situation for, for the Eagles, running back is obviously a, a position that they need to address in the offseason. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it does not seem like this is the greatest group of running backs who are, who are going to be in Mobile. Uh, no, it's not. And the top senior this year is Damian Harris from Alabama, but uh, unfortunately he will not be here. So uh, the top senior, the next top senior after that, Dexter Williams from Notre Dame, Miles Gaskin, Washington. Um, you know, these guys are more day, early day three picks uh, as opposed to you know top 100, maybe not even the top four rounds. So not, not the best group uh, of running backs, but honestly, in a setting like this, Running back is probably where you, you know, gain the least amount of information. Mm-hmm. It's just it's tough for a running back to uh, really show what he can do, except for pass protection drills and catching the ball out of the backfield. That's where you can, you know, a guy can really separate himself. Uh, I know, like, you know, a guy like Donald Pumphrey did that uh, a couple years ago. Oh, so no, you're uh, going to get everybody very upset. <laughs> yeah, and, but so uh, you know, the running back group this year is probably the position we'll talk about the least, uh, you know, when it's all said or throughout the week. And then when it's all said and done, um, but thank God for the juniors. Uh, it's, uh, uh, I think of my top uh, 11 or 12 running backs, there's only one senior. So, wow. uh, plenty of reinforcements coming with the underclassmen. There is a, there is a local guy there, the temple running back, Ryquel Armstead. Can he, or, or any of the guys there, um, are they factors out of the backfield in terms of, uh, as, as receivers? Uh, for a lot of these guys, we're going to find out because they just weren't asked to have that type of role um, at, at, the, at the college level. And Armstead, he's one of them. I think he had like under 40 catches over his career. Um, he just that wasn't a big part of his game. Uh, and even when you know watching his tape, when they did ask him to do that, it, it wasn't a natural thing for him. You saw inconsistent focus, uh, inconsistent uh, adjustment skills. Uh, if the ball wasn't thrown perfectly as jersey, so. You know, there are things that uh, that's where it's important for a running back here uh, during uh, uh, during practices to see how they catch the ball, how they hold up in pass pros. So a uh, big week for a guy like Reichwell Armstead, who needs to prove that he's worthy uh, of being drafted in those later rounds. I think I think Corey Clement was a learning experience for us uh, in terms of mm. that, whether a receiver, a running back is used as a receiver in college or not, doesn't necessarily preclude him from being effective in that role. Uh, in the NFL. So uh, these, I think you're right that from an all-star game setting, you're not going to learn much about these guys as runners, but maybe you can learn a little bit uh, about them as receivers. And, uh, and speaking of receivers, obviously the Eagles with a need at, at wide receiver, especially somebody who can stretch the field, uh, that has been a problem for them all year. Who are the guys here who have, uh, who have that vertical ability? Well, the top guy, unfortunately, had to pull out, uh, I believe because of an injury, Emmanuel Hall from Missouri, 
Uh, he's got four, three speed and that is exactly what he does. Takes the top off a of defense, stretches out, uh, the, the secondary vertically. Um, I'm really disappointed he won't be here because I, right going into this week, he was my top senior receiver, uh, a possible second, third round pick. Unfortunately, he won't be here. Uh, Andy Isabella from UMass, who's undersized. He's probably, probably five, nine, maybe 190 pounds. Uh, but he has legitimate, you know, four, 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 oh speed. Um, he's just undersized. And so, um, I, I expect a big week from him, uh, his speed, his quickness, uh, DBs, especially one-on-ones on an Island. They're just not gonna be able to keep up with Isabella. So it's going to be a big week for him. Uh, I'm not sure he fits necessarily what the Eagles might be looking for. Uh, I think he's better inside. I think he's a speed for the outside, but, uh, when you factor in his size, and what he does best, I think he's better inside as a slot receiver. Um, after that, you know, I, I think there are some interesting names. Uh, you know, guys like Debo Samuelson from South Carolina. Uh, can he fill that role um, I, when he gets off uh, or uh, off man coverage? He's able to use that athletic twitch and make something happen. Not as uh, effective against press coverage. So we'll see how he does this week. Um, Jalen Hurd from Baylor, another you know bigger, uh, better speed than expected type of guy. Uh, I, I think he's, you know, he played a lot of slot at Baylor. He's former running back at Tennessee. Uh, what, what fit, uh, where does he fit best uh, in terms of where they use him on the field? Uh, you know, is he a, an inside slot receiver? Can he play outside? Uh, I think it's a big week for him as well. Uh, and then, you know, going after that, you've got guys like uh, Jacoby Myers from NC State, uh, David Sills from West Virginia, who had a very productive career at West Virginia, uh, and that uh, that pro style or the nothing but or uh, nothing that comes close to a pro style scheme, I should say. Uh, but how does he translate this week uh, to uh, to more of a pro style where he's going to be asked to face press coverage? Um, you know, he's going to be asked to be do- doing some different things, expand that route tree a little bit. So a uh, big week for some of these receivers. How about Fran busting out the uh, the writing pen? For his, his David Sills feature, it was fun to watch him sort of creep around the locker room over the past uh, couple of weeks asking asking uh, Wendell Smallwood about a guy he played with in high school. <laughs> that, that's great. That's, hey, Fran, uh, no stone unturned, that's for sure. That's right. Uh, how about the uh, the guys up front on defense? Uh, I guess we can start with, with the edge rushers. You, you talked about Montez Sweat. He seems like the, the prize of the bunch here. But there's some other guys who have been uh, productive, and we've seen that the Eagles sort of uh, tilt this scale a little bit towards production, uh, at least with the, the Derek Barnett pick. So I know there's a guy like, like Jalon Ferguson from Louisiana Tech who's been very productive. Who else, uh, who else stands out from this group? Yeah, it's a really interesting group of pass rushers here. Uh, my edge rusher might be the most uh, or the deepest position in the entire draft, uh, and I think that is you know partly because of the seniors we have this year. Unfortunately, Josh Allen from Kentucky – uh, pulled out. I don't think anyone really blames him. He's uh, a possible top five pick. Uh, but once he did that, that's when Montez Sweat, who I believe is uh, you know capable of being a top 20 pick in this draft, uh, became a top guy. After that, uh, you mentioned Jalen Ferguson. Yeah, if you uh, you know leave your college career as the NCAA all-time sack leader, you did something right, and he broke Trail Suggs' uh, mark that was you know that's been held for what over 15 years now. So. Uh, you know, credit to Ferguson for the production. Uh, he does a really nice job getting off the line of scrimmage, using his long arms, using some power, getting blockers off schedule. Um, he's not that quick twitch, you know, bendy around the edge guy, but I think he has a quick first step, uh, uses those long arms, balance at the point of attack, um, and that allows him to, uh, you know, get blockers, uh, tie them up in position they don't want to be. So for Jalen Ferguson, um, you know, I, He's not going to be a, a big-time tester at the Combine, but I think a setting like this at the Senior Bowl uh, is where he can really help himself, possibly uh, you know, put himself in the first-round discussion. I think he's more uh, you know, second round, early second round right now, but a good week here can put him in the first. Uh, DeAndre Walker from Georgia, who is a one-year starter, waited his turn, and this year as a senior uh, for the Bulldogs, uh, really had a nice year. Um, he was kind of a pass rush specialist earlier in his career. And then this year he showed that he's much more than that. Uh, he can drop, he can play the run, um, maybe a little bit of a conversion guy uh, with a hybrid skill set. So, uh, you know, will he play more linebacker this week? Will he be with the edge guys? Um, you know, that 
position versatility and fit will be a big uh, big question for him. O'Shane is uh, Zimenez from Old Dominion, uh, 6'3", 250 pounds, another really productive guy. Um, I had a good talk with him after Old Dominion upset Virginia Tech, and he was telling me about the players-only meeting that he set up before the game that kind of get everybody riled up and ready for the game and uh, talked to some other players and talked about his leadership and how that was a big part of that upset. So um, with Zimenez, not only are you getting productive athletic pass rusher, but a guy who checks a lot of the boxes in terms of uh, intangibles. Uh, and then Zach Allen from Boston College, more of a base end, uh, really good run defender, developing as a pass rusher. Uh, so eager to see how he can do during one-on-ones versus uh, this tackle group. Can he show a little bit more as a pass rusher um, and, and, you know, avoid that dreaded, you know, better run defender than pass uh, rusher label, which could push him down a little bit. And then one other guy to talk about, Carl Granderson from Wyoming, showed up as 185 pounds, soaking wet, uh, back as a freshman. He's filled out. He looks the part now. He's up to, you know, 260 pounds. Uh, but he's still piecing things together as a pass rusher, uh, high upside guy. Uh, but I think teams were expecting a little bit more from senior season. Does he take another positive step uh, this week and show that he's uh, maybe a little more advanced than what we saw on the tape? You got to love when it's a good thing when you, when you add 75 pounds. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it, pictures of the before and after. Uh, pretty impressive. They, uh, they, actually, they, they did some good work with him to add some muscle, and uh, he definitely looks like Superman now. <laughs> uh, you know, we have heard that, that this is sort of the, the defensive line class. Howie Roseman said the other day that, that uh, he backed that up. This is uh, maybe a historic group for the defensive line. Eagles have three picks in the first two rounds, and I've said I, I wouldn't be surprised if they keep all three of those picks, if two of them uh, are along the defensive line. How about the, uh, the defensive tackles who are going to be here in Mobile? Yeah, I think the top defense tackles probably Isaiah Bugs from Alabama. Uh, played head up over the tackle in Alabama's three-man front, three-man base. Uh, but he has the position versatility where he can uh, kick inside, uh, play the three technique, uh, play the shaded nose, um, you know, just line up in a lot of different spots. And I think that, that would be part of the appeal with him. Former Juco guy who has quickness, plays with power. Um, so I think a really solid, you know, Day two pick uh, with him. Uh, Gerald Willis from Miami uh, had some trouble in his background, uh, really came on strong as a senior and, you know, kind of got everything, uh, you know, back in order and, uh, you know, kind of righted the ship. And so. Landon uh, Collins' brother, I believe, right? Uh, is it his brother? I believe it's his brother. I knew were, okay, I knew they were related. I wasn't sure for the, the exact uh, connection there. But he's a guy who. Uh, wins with that first step and so you know how does he hold up against a run that's the big question so uh that, that that'll be a big thing for gerald willis this week and then one of the top small school guys here kalen saunders from western illinois uh really agile nimble guy for 320 pounds uh how does he hold up you know a big week for these small school guys talked about adderley from delaware uh kalen saunders he's one of the top three or four small school guys this year and so how does he do with the uh bump up in competition awesome last question dan one question that i love to ask uh all the draft people and and one that i i often bug fran about but um when you are evaluating what what position group do you feel like you have the the highest sense of confidence level in in your ability to evaluate Mm, that's a good question um i i don't know if it's uh maybe like you know in terms of batting average you know Mm -hmm. my best uh, I, you know, I, I haven't really kept track of that, but I really enjoy corner. Um, I think it's it's the most fun for me. It's the most natural for me to evaluate. Um, you know, it's basically a dance. You know, these guys, these premier athletes. Uh, it, it's great when you you know you're a four three athlete, but you have to be have a technical understanding uh, of how to play the position, how to understand. Uh, route leverage, uh, understand uh, what receivers are doing in and out of their breaks. Um, just being able to play the position, it's just it's like uh, a coordinated dance. And so I really enjoy watching tape on corners and projecting them to the next level. And, uh, you know, how much do you factor in the length? How much do you factor in uh, the speed? But, it's a, you know, it's a stopwatch position. There's no question. But you still have to be very skilled when it comes to uh, from the neck up in terms of understanding, breaking down what a receiver is doing, 
but then also the technique and your footwork and everything else. So I think corner really enjoy that uh, that position when I'm breaking out tape. Well, that's that's well said. What a what a poet. <laughs> we'll follow uh, follow Dane on on Twitter and obviously uh, on the Athletic for uh, all of his draft skills. And uh, we will uh, we will be following you in Mobile. Look forward to seeing you, Dane. Awesome. Thanks, Bo. Thanks so much. friends.